All right. So, my guest today is Cara Crimians. I call her Cara Cremont because I do have a friend in France with the same last name and they pronounce it Cremont. So you will eternally correct me <laughs> for doing that as a default, but Cara Cremins. A little bit about Cara. One, she's my friend. And secondly, she's a guest. Cara spent years in sales and analytics, covering Fortune 400 companies. She also is a licensed financial advisor who empowers families, individuals, and businesses to reach their goals. This is done through comprehensive financial planning, life and health insurance, long-term care, among other things. She is a medallion scholar with high academic honors and scholarships awarded by Western Michigan University, ongoing mentor and advisory member with the Foundation for Girls and Financial Wellbeing in their career journeys. She's an experienced category analyst with a demonstrated history of working on top teams in the wine and spirits industry. Also a former collegiate athlete and coach, and she excels at, edu at educating, motivating, and communicating complexities to reach winning results. Before being a financial advisor at Northwestern Mutual, she was an assistant track and cross-country coach at University of North Carolina at Charlotte. She was also an analyst at Constellation Brands. Welcome, Kara. Hi, Alani. How are you? I am great. Thank you. Hope that introduction was okay. It was outstanding. You made me sound better than I am. <laughs> That's because you are one of the most <laughs> underappreciated and underrated financial professionals I know. So that's, and I know that's barely scratching the surface, so I try to condense it into a very short format. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me join today. Yeah, thank you for taking the time. Always, always, always appreciated. So I'm going to jump right to it. What do you think of artificial intelligence? Scary or amazing? If I have to pick one side, because I'm kind of in the middle, it's incredible. How fascinating that this is happening in our lifetime. I've been reading the book Sapiens, the history of humankind. And to think that this is where we are. I was pretty sure I had solved how the humankind was going to end while reading this. That we're all just going to become robots. Maybe not have emotions anymore. That's, um, yeah, that's interesting. It's, I think <laughs> it's a mixture of scary and amazing. I think if it yeah. runs a mark, scary, of course. Um, just like GPS, where yeah, I remember as a kid, I was able to read a map. I still am able to read a map, but with some effort. But we're so reliant on GPS now that you're almost crippled if you can't just plug in directions on your phone. Right. Scary. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think artificial intelligence is incredible. And it's opened so many doors. And it's okay to have some reservations. It's important to have these reservations. Because with anything, if we're not cautious, it can explode and be really detrimental. But 
how amazing, right? Yeah, it is. Am I wrong? You know, or what do you no, think? No, no, you, you, you are, you're onto something, but it's leading me to my next question, which is, is technology impacting the financial services industry, specifically financial advisors, in a positive or negative way? We were talking earlier about for high and ultra high net worth individuals, it doesn't matter because if you have enough capital, you know, 5, 10, 20, 40, 50 million and up to deploy, I can hire someone to deal with that. But for folks who are not high or ultra high net worth, the general consensus is I'll just rely on the HR department for a one, whatever it is, right? I, I don't want to deal with someone because the cognitive load is high. It's too complex. It's only for rich people anyway. So what, 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 are, what are your views on that? So let's unpack that a little because a few of these pieces are true, right? Most people are going to shy away from something that they're not familiar with that they don't feel like they understand. Correct. Typically, it's that emotion of fear, even if we're not going to, they don't address it like that. When people become educated, there's a level of comfort around the topic. And it's dually important with finances because in our American culture, it's a little taboo to talk about pretty openly. Correct. So when there's a lot of self-service and technology available to us to do things independently without the help of an advisor, it may seem helpful to the person who is super independent, but those are tools, a few tools that are available that are, to our knowledge. When we think about long-term savings, retirement planning, there are nine different areas, nine tools that we should be talking about to build a really strong financial future. And most of the time we're human and we know what we know, but we don't know what we don't know. And that is where the personal interaction of an advisor comes into play. And the second piece of that is having conversations that might otherwise go suppressed until say a triggering life event occurs. And then we start thinking about money differently because we're forced to. Where the advisor, someone who does what I do, we talk with clients and Correct. plan for scenario A, B, and C. What are every what does every implication by doing certain certain things? So, you know, the the company's 401k, if you are a W2 employee, is a great tool available to you you know that's one of many so people talk with people like me or my team to hear what else is available could other things make sense in a plan and you know when we think about the artificial intelligence involved right there's that personal information you have to have that personal input you have to put in your 401k balance you have to address your cash balance. Um, you have to address how much monthly income do you want in retirement? Um, 
And then fortunately we have outstanding technology to help us calculate the, the future value of those dollars. Um, but there is such an emotion tied to money and planning that the artificial intelligence can't do everything yet. Now, that is a very powerful statement. Emotional intelligence that AI cannot replicate, which leads me to my next question tied to that very, that very point, which is, do you think it's a combination of people's general bashfulness? Because personal finances can cause insecurity, mm-hmm. discomfort. I mean, most divorces are tied to finance, for example. This is true. And people don't want to confront that uncomfortable fact. And it makes them feel less secure if they have to disclose their financial details, you know, debt, liability, all those things. And as such, they are comfortable, you know, remaining, you know, in those ecosystems where they don't have to disclose that. So it's easy to just fill out your HR, you know, check the boxes for your 401k and not think about it because you don't have to talk to someone about it. So it's mm-hmm. your own little secret. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, do you believe that the benefits of AI and technology tends to favor those with the financial wherewithal or the Do you believe the benefits of AI and technology tend to benefit those with the financial capacity to subscribe to those services. You know, some tools are only available to those who can afford to pay for them. A Bloomberg terminal, for example, is north of $30,000 per month to own one. So unless you're a wealthy person that wants insight into the markets relative to how and where you deploy your capital, no average Joe is going to go get a Bloomberg terminal for $30,000 a month just to see where to deploy their funds. So that's where I was going with around, is technology helping or is it only helping a few people who can afford to utilize it? It's helping the whole population. Um, I mean, at the beginning, at the start of it, it comes down to habits and self-discipline, right? Are you going to take steps? Do you really care about this aspect of your life? When technology comes into a play, it's made everything much more accessible. Now, the secrets of our income or how much extra cash we have on hand or what we really have saved, that is like that insecurity you're speaking to like yeah technology if you don't want to talk to anybody about this you have the access you have capabilities to do these things you certainly will be doing a lot more research that most people would say i don't have the time to do this please help handle this my time is better spent making the money than my money <laughs> figuring out what to do with it um and so, so it's that artificial intelligence certainly opens the marketplace for 
more investors and the easier access. Um, but it, I don't think it will ever re quite replace the trust that people put in others or put in their advisors um, in the security, right? There's like something safe knowing that someone in this profession uh, is making this recommendation and they do this too. There, that you know, that, that psychology of influence yeah. around, uh, you know, knowing others are doing this and feeling, uh, I guess, not left out or like unsure of what the one thing that they're doing is uh, okay or not. So then do you think fear is a primary driver for those who don't go that extra mile in consulting a financial advisor? Yeah, a lot of the objection I hear is I'm good. And I'm pretty respectful and I don't ask them, but I, a lot of the time I'm like, what makes you feel good about your finance? What makes you feel confident about the choices you've made? What makes you feel like you're going to be all set? And like, maybe they will be, but I always want to uncover that answer to I'm good. Um, yeah. So, so then what advice would you give a teenage you, knowing what you know now? Um, as soon as... And so this is, this is personally something I did do. I fortunately had parents who would think about, talk about this. We talked about money. And we started a Roth IRA as soon as I made my first paycheck, lifeguarding at Nixon Water Park. <laughs> um, because it wasn't money I needed to use at that moment. We understood the value of compounding and time. The other advice I would give to me as a teenager is keep that habit, habit. I think I see too many people who want to live for the here and now, and they're not thinking about the future. But if you can establish small habits of putting, it's like behavioral finance of just consistently taking some monies out of sight, out of mind, and invest, that's where those big changes happen. We were talking before this, recording began about simple and there's really not a better way to say it but people love simple my contrary to common belief people love simple people love boring the simpler we can make things the easier it is to understand the more bought in they are on ideas and the better the outcome in the end yeah there's a there's a there's a mantra that I have always subscribed to, and that is you can't scale what you can simplify. Mm -hmm. So I use the analogy of Google, right? Love or hate the company. From the very first day that company opened its doors till this very day, the homepage is the same. It's one search bar and the whole there's a whole lot of technology behind it. It's simple. Now their counterpart, Yahoo, has had an identity crisis for 30 plus years, there was a point 
Google offered to be sold to Yahoo for pennies on the dollar. I think two million or something like that. And Yahoo said no. Today, Google is one of the biggest in the world. Yahoo is a department of Verizon. Because again, when there's a when when there's a high cognitive load and there's just too much going on, people go to where it's simple, easy, and the key value prop is obvious. Mm-hmm. And I think financial services could do a better job at that. More people need advisors. More people need those insights. More people need that guidance. They need someone to cover their flanks. You know, whether it's Northwest Mutual, whatever it is. But the problem is the barrier to entry is still high because most people still don't, they have a vague idea mm-hmm. of what's involved, right? But there's still this rudimentary gap. So the chasm to cross in order to engage a financial services professional is still quite wide. So people just rely on you know, they're available tools, you know, 401k plan at work, check the box, just take part of my paycheck and put it there and hope I don't lose my job. Right. Right. So most people's financial plan is it's like driving a car and the brakes are dead. You're just screaming and running, you know, really, you don't even if you're in third, that's where most people are, unfortunately, you know, in our consumerist culture doesn't help that either. But AI won't tell you to spend less. AI will make recommendations on where to spend your money, depending on who's paying to inject ads into the algorithm. (laughs) We laugh. Our biggest competitor is everyone else who wants to take your money. Like, my job is literally to help you save your money and pay yourself. (laughs) That's a powerful statement. The biggest (laughs) competitor is everyone who's trying to get you to spend your money. (laughs) (laughs) Because mine is intangible. How do you want to believe me to say, save yourself money when I'm not going to tell you to touch it until you're in age 59 and a half? (laughs) That's, that's, I mean, it sounds, it's very, very true. And and so if I may pivot for a second, then do you believe that financial education should be taught in schools at a younger age, given your experiences if more kids were taught in school on the earlier side, do you think they'll make better financial decisions? Absolutely, Alani. From that illustrious introduction you gave me, my passion lies in this as well. Um, you know, I work with some people of multi-million, some people who are literally in beginning stages of wealth building. But when it comes to this topic, I feel so passionate about it. And I work with young girls, many of whom are single parents, many of whom are still in high school, but having that, uh, it's a nonprofit local to Charlotte called Foundation for Girls. But we talk about one of our pillars is financial well-being. Another pillar is digital literacy. Another pillar is career confident. So we can think from job to career, and now we're talking careers that have benefits. <laughs> a lot of these young women have never heard of a 401k, or this is their first experience of anyone in their family having a 401k. But if these types of I- ideas 
and topics were taught to 13, 14, 15-year-olds. And while they're working their summer job, they start in a Roth IRA. Like, how different would the conversations I'm having today with many people look if they had started with something like that? So do you think the current culture of instant gratification, you know, where everybody, the Instagram culture, where every teenager, unfortunately, this, I believe, is evolving into a mental health crisis, especially on young women. You know, this picture, Instagram, TikTok culture, right, is making it more difficult to have, you know, to have those conversations around financial literacy, financial planning, you know, financial awareness, because the attention span is so short and everyone is just chasing after, you know, this instant gratification and dopamine rush that it's harmful specifically to young women. You know, do you think it's impacting the financial services industry and how, you know, and, and just reaching, you know, the, you know, that particular demographic? Or do you think somewhere along along the lines, you know, there's that, but I don't see the balance there because I believe it's a mental health crisis. But do you think there's an impasse there and something we need to pay attention to? I was, are you a mind reader? Because I was on this topic this morning with my friend. She and I went for a run and we're talking about a lot of this. Um, it actually came up because of several of the shootings that have been happening. Um, I'm from Michigan, so Michigan State just had a tragedy there. We just had something in Charlotte happen. And, you know, I just think about as it relates to finances and mental health and Instagram specifically, I had this thought the other day. What if we could, we we share our highlight reels on social media. What if you were really proud of your finances, right? You can make that a highlight reel if you wanted. Yeah. But for most people, it's not something that they feel proud of or they don't know how to compare, how they compare among their peers. But I was like, man, If that was something they're proud of, maybe that would be on social media and they get a hit of dopamine when they get the like. I'm like, hey, great job. You're saving this much money. But it doesn't happen. What if there's something to that? You know, it's interesting because I always thought that certain industries, specifically your industry, could do a better job in terms of engaging influencers and social media on financial literacy and security, exactly what you just said. What if, you know, these influencers were really simplifying like, hey, my 401, whatever it is, is making me a thousand dollars a month and I'm 20 years old, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm going to keep doing it. Here's how you do it. 30 seconds or less, you know. For example, we, we have the, the TikTok controversy where, and I've performed this experiment, it's actually factually true. If you open TikTok in the United States, the first thing you're going to see are just crazy videos of people dancing or expensive cars, you know, just mindless things. But if you go to other countries and you open TikTok, you're going to see videos of science experiments, calculus, algebra, solving puzzles. It's interesting, yeah. you know, and on some level, you start to think, okay, perhaps 
you know, the heavy, heavy, heavy focus on this social instant gratification, glamorization of pleasure is conditioning a young, impressionable generation that that's, you know, that's where the action is. Whereas in all the play and the algorithm optimizes for that, because if the algorithm sees that, okay, most people who like this kind of content are in this area, it's going to send you more content along that context. Yeah. Right, but if it sees yeah. the people in this other area are watching science videos, it's going to optimize to feed you more science videos. Going back to your earlier point, that that's why you need the human, yeah, <laughs> right, because the algorithm is going to do what the algorithm does. It's, it's going to send send you what sells. So the, your competition is the guy trying to get you to spend by doing dumb stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's funny though, and that is free right these apps are free to us i mean let's be honest nothing comes uh, it all comes at a cost but monetarily it feels free um i did listen to previous episodes so there's you know, i understand like that personal social information but at face value the tiktok and the instagram it's free as a user but i'm over here paying like 39 dollars a year for an app that's going to keep quizzing me on mental math so I stay sharp. I'm like, why? Why isn't that free? This is what really helps us. Boom. Exactly. <laughs> so therein, therein lies the issue when we talk about artificial intelligence, technology, what's it actually doing, and how? Who are the professionals making the decisions? And I want to talk to someone in the marketing department of one of these corporations. You spend hundred, two hundred million dollars a year on this. Why aren't you optimizing for that, which actually helps your business? There's a social good and a public good, increases your reach, and quite frankly, it's good for it because a rising tide floats all boats. Socioculturally, mm -hmm. socioeconomically, sociopolitically, social it helps everybody because then we all win. So it's always that issue of how are we holistically looking at the tools available to us? What's the impact? Because those young, impressionable kids of today are going to be our professionals, leaders, and customers tomorrow. That 18-year-old kid that's on social media getting 10,000 likes for posting a picture of a t-shirt or whatever, in 10 years, is going to need a financial advisor, okay? And when the algorithm has looked at the kid's entire life and knows, oh, they like t-shirts with smiley faces, that's all the kid's <laughs> going to see. Yeah. You know, so there are all these gaps that we need to solve for. And I do very militantly believe that we can't extricate the human component. And I think financial advisement plays a critical role. Because if you lose that generation by the time you're 16, you're pretty much set in stone. It gets harder and harder to bring them back around. You know, I saw someone whose car was more expensive. This person was renting, but they drove a $120,000 Range Rover. I, yes, you know, I it, don't understand. On what planet? And that's a personal belief that these are our truths. You and me, Alani, like we align on that truth. Like, yeah, <laughs> I need to be able to afford other things before. Exactly. Like, they are fundamentals. But, but what I find, because I talk to many, many people and I ask them about their philosophy around money and some of the best things they've ever learned about money. My truth is certainly different than their truths around money. But knowledge is universal. You know, our truths might be different, 
But I think knowledge and the fundamentals remain the same because we take different paths to the same destination, right? Unfortunately, some of us just take that passion a little bit further than others for various reasons, how you were raised, your perspective on life, what fulfills you. You know, there is no greater sense of accomplishment than service to humanity. That's my belief, period. Mm. And that service could be advising a kid, teaching them something the kid didn't know just the day prior. Mm -hmm. And kid might take that to places I never even imagined. So directly or indirectly, I've played my part. But the kid, I have to be in a position to recognize that, you know what, I need to share this. Mm -hmm. So there's this air of exclusivity when it comes to technology where, oh, we know something. And I use blockchain as an example. Mm -hmm. One of the problems within the blockchain industry is it's very clicky and exclusive. You get a few people who are like, yeah, we know something everybody else doesn't know, right? So what do they do? They're building walls and not bridges. So when Washington comes and says, we're going to regulate you guys, suddenly they scream victim. Where you've done nothing but establish this exclusive, you know, club, which in many cases is gender imbalanced, okay? Sure. You know, not diverse, right and when they get called out they play the victim mm. and it's you're seeing that in venture capital it's i mean i have vcs who one vc once told me that listen we know you're raising money for the startup right but get a white kid and put him in front of the presentation and you'll get more attention i had a vc tell me that oh i appreciate the truth i'm a big boy i can handle it but at least i know what's going on yeah okay? Yeah, but that's just like, doesn't sit well with me either. <laughs> and this same venture capitalist, okay, who do they call whenever they have an event and they want to check their diversity box? Hey, can you come? I'm, I just don't know. I'm good. I'm not going to be used to check your diversity box. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So my point is, we all fundamentally want the same things. And those of us who have been fortunate to be in, in certain positions owe it to pay it forward. However, we should do it with those coming from behind. That is the younger generation. So we bring them along so they can grow into it and carry it forward the same way we have. I'm not going to go to an accomplished person <laughs> and try to share something. With it. What benefit? <laughs> well, I think there's always something to be shared and something to be learned. But I do believe when we talk about the next generation, I try to embrace change, you know, on those like bell curves, like early adapters to technology, probably not in like the first, uh, uh, like the highest percentile, but like not on the upper echelon of that, where I'll adapt and I like to hear what's coming. And then as I think about the next generation, right, like <laughs> I'm 32 and I feel like <laughs> I'm the old, <laughs> well, let's see, I feel like I'm wiser, right? But I'm like, you know what? Every generation pushes the next. And mm -hmm. it's like, uh, now I'm like, finally feel like the millennial that I am is being pushed by this Gen Z. And it's like a little uncomfortable, sure. Okay. But I'm going to have to embrace it. Yeah, but you keep an open mind mm -hmm. and you never know what's coming. You sure. Know, it's, yeah, it's always the struggle between okay, I have my experiences, you know, here is the generation behind me, mm -hmm. you know, they should be learning from me, but that's always an assumption. Right? And I because can learn from them. Exactly. Right? 
my reality isn't theirs and vice versa. So we keep an open mind. So something that came up on our conversation this morning on the run, I'll tell you what, if you want to get into running, your philosophy combos will just keep turning. But one of the things we said was how it feels like our generation had to adapt to external circumstances, adapt to what's happening at work, adapt to things thrown our way. What we have noticed in this had come from like a mental health professor, but she had said like the younger generation is adapt is expecting to adapt. Be a hold on, I'm not saying this right. We are built to adapt to the external circumstances. Ex circumstances they are expecting to have the external circumstances adapt to them. I don't think yeah. like saying the we them that's not to be divisive, but as a general idea, that's truly become more prevalent in mental health studies in these generations. Yeah, I mean, we can use remote work, for example, you know, right? There's a generation that you just went to work, you the assumption is we're expected to be there. So you get up at 5am, do what you do to be at work by 745. That's right. This generational shift is, no, I'm going to work remotely, okay? Work comes to me because, mm -hmm. to, in, in, all, in all fairness, this is what technology comes into that because mm -hmm. at a certain point in time, residential networks wouldn't have fiber optic come into homes. So work was the only place where you have the pipe, the power, the ping, mm -hmm. right? The infrastructure, the network connectivity, the tools, the information, everything was at that location. But now that we have faster networks, ubiquity of, you know, tools, you know, we can do a lot of things online and it's all available, then you don't have to go there. And the younger generation, they understand that. So for them is, okay, I have fiber optic internet. Information is stored online securely. I can access it. Why do I have to go sit in traffic for an hour? <laughs> okay, and go through that <laughs> aggravation. So, so it's so we're seeing that elasticity, you know, yeah. and that's rolling that back into managing finances. Now it's okay. You work from home now. There's an operating cost you don't have to shoulder, right? How does that factor into planning your future? You don't have to get Starbucks or spend you know a thousand dollars a month with lunch with your buddies because you know you. You're going to that money you're saving. How is it going to you know benefit you downstream? Mm -hmm. Now we're going to compete against now that algorithms know you work from home, so they're going to try to sell. Now Jeff Bezos, Amazon Prime makes a lot of. Now that you're just shopping every day because you're home, yeah. <laughs> right? So that's that competition that you mentioned. Uh, Early, it's all connected. And that that's what I believe makes it a little bit scary. That's why I kept saying earlier that, you know, do you see AI and technology as beneficial or create or, or does it create more competition, you know, in the, in the, for, the, for the financial services industry for those who are not in a high or ultra high net worth space? Um one thought to add to this, and I heard this recently, but it was not my quote. Uh, I believe, I believe Elon Musk had made a comment around the companies who will succeed in the future are the companies who own proprietary data. 
or personal data. So those uh, advertisements that we're seeing, right, that are based on us and our personal data, um, however those get used, right? Those are the kinds of things in the companies that will um, really succeed. So do you think data is the new currency? Uh, this is your favorite topic. <laughs> um, I think this is super unique. Um, right? It's not like a yes or a no. I see both sides. Right? With my financial advisor cap on, I can't really say yes. But I see the value. I see the, in the dollar signs in data. <laughs> so what if I may bring up um, just a, an example, if the average person wants to retire and make, say, $10,000 a month, what would be a basic math for where they should start? Just a simple use case. So, there are so like, many variables. All I can tell you that, like, if you're in your 30s and you want 120000 annually, you're looking at future value of that present value, 120, looking around 300K in your first year of retirement, accounting for inflation. Correct. So, on, at a very basic level, if you want to make 10K per month and you're in your 30s, you should have 300K already <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> Yeah. Well, oh, no, no, no. That would be like what you would need to have in your first year of income in retirement. I don't know what you would already have saved, right? I can't change or really tell you anything in history, right? I'm to, what I'm, so this exercise is actually fun because I'm trying to give a couple of examples saying, hey, you're 30 or you're 40, right? And you have $100,000 socked away somewhere, right? And you plan to retire at 65 and you want to put $10,000 away every year for the next 10 years. Here's what you should look at based on just top line level, right? I want to, I want to get, I think it's a very fun exercise because I, I truly, truly believe those kind of simplified use cases can speak to a lot of people. Cause I did get two people ask me that very question. Mm. Say, Oh, wait a minute. How can I be where you are? You know, given where I am right now, first I told them, don't do anything I've done. <laughs> <laughs> and then they're going to go do it anyways. <laughs> exactly, right. I don't know. I don't know if they can replicate your work and your mindset. Well, you never know. I'll keep advising. <laughs> um, so that's actually, we are we use software that was built by... EY consultants, it's real, it's really sophisticated. And that's what we do on an individual basis. Mm -hmm. We plug so in. That, that's, that's, a, that's a very diplomatic yeah. answer. And it goes back to my earlier point around the cognitive load. And I'm playing a little bit of a game here in that the average person is looking at, okay, this proprietary software, it's probably ha probably has all this data I have to enter and terms I have to look at and simulate. And I'm like, I don't know, I'm just a plumber. <laughs> You know, and I just bill my clients and I can save 10K a year, but I want to retire in 10 years, <laughs> you know, and they think, you know what, I'm just going to live alone, talk to my CPA once a year, right? <laughs> yeah, well, and here's the thing, like, we don't do the CPA 
taxes in the current year. They will give you advice on current year tax. <laughs> Our goal is to think long-term tax, succession planning, estate yeah. planning tax, uh, legacy planning. Uh, and that's where it's like tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars difference in tax just by saving in one place over another. That's phenomenal. So what are the biggest mistakes or myths in the financial advisory world? You know, I think people have this beat the market, time the market mentality. And it's less about these get rich quick and more about the systematic behavioral finance, you know, discipline contribution, emotional steadiness through market fluctuations. Um, and I also believe in Morgan Housel's book, The Psychology of Money, really, he talks about goalposts and setting your expectation. If you continually having these moving goals, if you continuously have moving goals, you're never going to be satisfied. So setting the goal and remembering this is what we're setting up to do, we can certainly change our path. Um, of course. And the goal expectations along the way, but being very mindful and intentional around a goal and then feeling accomplished when we get mm -hmm. you get there um and i'm not just talking about retirement i mean these are things that happen along the way right maybe it is that hundred twenty thousand dollar range rover but you know it's the myths are the get rich quicks and i i just don't believe this is a personal belief. I don't believe that that is what will happen for most people. Um, I mean, I shared a little bit before we jumped on here, Alani. I run. And the only reason I run at a pretty high level is because I've done it consistently every morning since I was like 13 years old. They were talking like 20 years here of consistent yeah. activity. But it's the same habit when it comes to wealth building, where the dollar cost averaging, it, it, studies will show you that the dollar cost averaging outperforms most of the time people trying to time the market because of that consistent dripping money into their savings at a consistent rate rather than freaking out when the market gets volatile and we read headlines about recessions that's when people lose on market growth as well so do you do you think as a financial advisor then one should be a better consumer of the news the simple answer is no one should be a better consumer of understanding how the numbers and the economics relate. Okay, so, so for, for a non, so if we look at 
So a high net worth individual knows what knows what to look for in the news. Right. You know, look for the signal, not the noise. And it's not even the news, it's like actual reports, like financial reports. Well, it's all I think it's all lumped in now, right? Where I don't yeah. even see most of our stations, TV stations today, I look at them as news entertainment. I don't even consider them news anymore. Yeah, so they so- look everything in. Stop watching Kramer, for example. You know, <laughs> be a better consumer of the news. You know, look at the data, look at the news. If a company reports earnings, right, and there are sensationalist items in the news, learn that balance. Just be a learn how to learn is my point. Yeah. So when I said no, I was thinking about like attention grabbing headlines. I'm like, no, that that whether the emotion is fear or excitement that is not going to help. I'm trying to help us remove the emotion from the the strategy. Yeah. That's what I meant when I answered. That's because sometimes with people planning their finances, they look at, oh man, you know, Pfizer stock is whatever because of the news and they go make, you know, irrational decisions, obviously. And again, the algorithm is the algorithm, but again, financial advice comes from sit down, take a breather, Let's look yep. at the numbers. The judgment-free zone. Yes. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> <You know>? yeah. <laughs> They're very candid. Exactly. And then establish and stick to the plan. Goal setting. You know. So, hence my question earlier around: Are those things we should be talking to the younger generation about earlier on, so they grow into it and they normalize to it, versus the current world where is their mid-career? Then they start fighting those battles, trying to have those conversations changing their lifestyle because it's harder to modify your lifestyle after two three decades of living a certain way because now it's an emergency it's all hands on deck right that's right but if you you know but if you have that information from a younger age and you over time gradually live based on that ethos Mm -hmm. then you that's just your normal right there's nothing to drastically roll back because you understand those fundamentals at a very young age and you can translate them better as an adult you make better decisions. Yeah, definitely. So. Yeah. In in what way or ways, you know, has your work changed someone's life? This is so that deep. You never expected. Oh. I will tell you, this goes back to more technology, right? It is the non-technology pieces that impact people. I mean, (laughs) there's so much to money and often I learn things about people and their family before um, kids or spouses. No. And it is... just deep connect, human connection through a lot of that conversation. So I think, you know, I think of, so let me share with you this. When I, re- I recognize that personally, when I receive two types of compliments, I feel the most fulfilled. One is when re- someone recognizes how much I care about their family and their plan that feels so good to me when they recognize that I care, right? That's not a technology answer. That is that I've 
you know, I'll go above and beyond to help them because it's the right thing to do. The second is when they comment or appreciate my intellect. And it's not because I made the calculation, but because the advice was there to say, here's what I've seen through experience. And it's been lived by others. We're using their hindsight as our foresight and got them thinking about money or whatever differently than they ever have. Not to do a full mindset shift, but to have the open-mindedness to think about something they never have. Um, That's where the real impact has come in people's lives. Um, Hmm, That's powerful. It's very interesting. So pivoting for a second, has your work saved any marriages? Oh, golly. I hope so. (laughs) Hope is not a strategy. Uh, I would like to think so, because as you mentioned earlier, money can be so divisive. I will, yes, I will answer this with confidence. One of the things we talk about is the foundation of a financial plan is always having income, right? You must have money coming in in order to have any sort of plan. So when we implement like long-term disability income insurance where the couple was living and working just fine, used to their comfortable income, and the husband was not a triggering accident, but something had happened, okay? And he could no longer work and do the job he was educated and trained to do. That insurance paid the family an income close to, but not quite the amount of money that they had had prior, like the emotional toll enough, uh, was enough to be tough on the marriage. Secondly, their expenses went up because of medical bills. Um, wow. I'm just, I'm making notes here because now they have, they could at least rely on still having that income. And that's a conversation they would have never had if we had not sat down and talked. That's very interesting. So do you think then when people elect to participate in workplace insurance, one piece of financial advice would be if the option for, you know, income slash employment insurance is available to the degree that they can, they should opt in because you never know. Yeah. I believe it's... When you are a working, earning individual, you have skin in the game and that your ability to earn money is the foundation of your plan, that is important. That is important. Very interesting. So let's talk Northwest Mutual for, you know, just for a bit, um, because I would really like to embed some very basic pieces of financial advice that's simple, easy to understand, you know, um, that people should just know about. If you, if, if you know nothing else, you know, know this simple facts as part of your financial strategy going forward. And after that, I would love to definitely have you share your contact information, how you can, you know, all of that. But I really want to 
pick your brain here and have you just rapid fire give people some basic pieces of financial advice going forward. We are in a bear market. Um, we are in the throes of a recession, right, wrong, or indifferent. A lot of things are happening, but it's also an opportunity to plan better going forward. The past is the past. Mm -hmm. Tomorrow we can only plan for. Mm -hmm. Today is all we have. Mm -hmm. So back at you. Protect what you cannot afford to lose. For instance, your human life capital, your income. Optimize where you're saving for efficiencies. And then grow based on consistent habitual contributions in savings and investment. It's general for a purpose, <laughs> for a reason, but if those are my three, protect what you can't afford to lose, optimize efficiencies, and grow beyond, you know, cash into investments. So then pivoting very sharp on that, what's the high level perspective on crypto from the legacy financial services industry? You know I was going to ask you this. <laughs> I know. Um, so it's interesting, right? Crypto is really decentralized. It is decent, the definition of that. But we're, the space in which I work is really centralized. So it's tough. Um, I don't know if I can give a general general idea here but i can say you and i have had conversations over coffee about this right like oh crypto is risky and you say it's not so i would say in general it is perceived as high risk high reward just like anything when it's new and we are not familiar and there's relatively not a ton of literature about it then it feels risky um but i know you know you've done a lot of research you do a lot of work in this space and you would likely argue opposite <laughs> of what i'm saying go no, ahead i mean i think yeah i think high risk high rewards i mean i was very much around during the you know dot-com era i was around during the centralization era you know optimizing you know early cloud i'm funny enough i was i think the 10th 10th or 11th first certified you know salesforce perfect this is how far back. so i've been at this for a while yeah. and as with any industry it's high risk high reward yeah but when it normalizes the more you de-risk anything the lower the rewards those are just the facts I so exactly so in that regard then do you think those who participate in crypto then should balance their portfolios you know we're talking about a healthy ratio if sure. participating in high risk type investments from a financial planning perspective yes diversification um I uh, am not going to play in this space, but if I have clients who do, I usually preface it with like, that is money that you are taking the risk with and be okay with that. 
So, <laughs> who was your favorite cartoon character when you were a kid? <laughs> uh, I really liked, I loved Scooby-Doo. Really? I loved it. Oh my gosh, I always tried to solve the mystery before. <laughs> really? I did, yeah. What about you? I I went through a series of, I loved Voltron, Super Ted, Spider-Man for a while. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I went through phases with them. I mean, there was a period I loved. This was pre-Ninja Turtles. I mean, there was all kinds yeah. of cartoons. I mean, it, yeah. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, that is really cool. So just in, 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 in closing, how can people connect with you, connect with Northwest Mutual? Or, you know, how can they get started if someone's going, oh, you know what? I like some of the things she talked about, and I'd like to learn more you know, or see more or hear more. Well, there's a website. My website is my first dot, my last name at nm.com. Kara, oh, I guess it's Kara Creamings dot nm dot com. But that is one way. Uh, my email, we'll put it in the notes, I suppose. I'll put it in the notes, correct. Yeah, I always try to make this very approachable. And awesome. so I do have to ask you. Yeah. You know, what is Northwest Mutual cooking up right now behind the scenes? Like, what's coming? I know you guys are very innovative. I know you guys do a lot. I mean, you guys don't give yourself enough credit. Okay. Well, by the media, the company has been nicknamed the Quiet Company. <laughs> and that's for a few reasons. But one, there's no funny business. We are heavily regulated and compliant. And two, typically, we build business. I build my personal practice through word of mouth, um, through friends like you, Eleni. Um, so you won't see, you'll see like the general commercials on the television here and there, but for the most part, it's just a quieter industry. Um, and a lot of that is with compliance, right? We can't be like promising more than we'll deliver and, yeah. you know, same. Yeah. So what are you cooking up behind the scenes? What should we look forward to in the future? What, 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 what should we expect? What should everyone expect? Not just the high network folks with, you know, big bats, but everyone in general. Yeah, this is good. So what you can expect is very sophisticated planning software. If you want to boil down to the interest rates and the funds and the shares of specific companies you hold, like we can add all of those details into our planning software. Um, the beauty of what we do ties into generational planning. So I mean, conversations around life insurance and long-term care planning and estate planning, how we're funding trusts. Um, Northwestern Mutual as a whole has a AAA credit rating. It's Actually. that is held in high regard. You look at any company in the United States. You just company. opened up a can of worms and I'm going to <laughs> I'm gonna ask you three very interesting questions and I really want you to maybe get into it a little bit. First is 
tell me a little bit about high level just on estate planning. And then after that, I'm going to get into succession planning and trusts. Okay. High level estate planning is everything that you own upon death, unless you have a trust, um, essentially goes to probate court. So they determine who your beneficiaries are and release those assets. If you have a trust, let me pause. That can take a very long time. It can take a year or more. If you have a trust, again, they'll look at what is in the trust and then proceed as directed can take two to three months. So, uh, and then I'll say like, you know, the life insurance, at least what we do usually takes a few days. So depending on how you have things set up upon death can drastically change how easily it is for people, your beneficiaries, to receive what is intended to go So what's them. the easiest way to ensure your estate is properly allocated upon demise? So this is really the question for the estate planning attorney. <laughs> I'm going to put that disclosure out there. Uh, but yeah, that's, but we typically work with yeah, that person in your court to make sure that the financial side of that is taken care of. Okay. Now let's switch to succession planning. High level gist of it. What is it and how should you go about starting? You know, everyone should have a succession plan if you have assets we're passing on everyone should have one yeah well it's a conversation with that attorney but when it becomes funded we become part of that conversation and so um like say you are a family business and you want to pass the business's valuation on to three your three children However, one of your three children is actually interested in your business, but the other two want a port, want their fair value of the business. So how can we do this considering the tax laws, how, they, how you're going to be taxed on that estate? How can we do this as efficiently as possible? Um, and a lot of times it depends on how you have your life insurance set up. Yeah. And finally, trusts. Start with the trust attorney. Yeah, that's the estate planning attorney. They would essentially, if you're, if you are, see, this is like not my area of expertise, but typically if you have like minors, you want things in a trust. Yeah. This is true. So just wrapping up then, I think the morale here is have a mechanism to protect your income. Yeah. Consult with a financial advisor, protect your income, and optimize your income for better returns, which leads back to the main point, consult a financial advisor. Yes. 
All right. Any final thoughts? <laughs> because I always hear it. Serve our clients well. Fantastic. All right. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure. The last hour has been very informative. I really enjoy our conversations every time. I mean, we can solve the world's problems between you. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> and congratulations on the, the, the race that you just completed. Um, that's by no means an easy feat at all. Thank you. Um, and I am very, very, very sure we'll be having this conversation again. Awesome.